0: Starting here on the top of Kukma'alu and for and the Mishnah, the Mishnah says Lo If you have straw on the bed, you shouldn't move it actively with your hands. You can move it with your body. So here the problem is that the kash or the straw is otherwise muksh, but now he wants to use it for bedding. If he doesn't designate it as bedding for the fact, then he has a problem because he has muksa on the bed, but he wants to use that as his mattress. So how does he deal with it? He can't move it directly, but what he can do is move it till the or So he's allowed to be minaneabhufo, he can lay on it and move it around. If it was feed for the animals, oh Kar or if he had a pillow or a sheet over it, then it's no longer muksa. And therefore, he can actively move it with his hand, because it was already before Shabbat, something that was not Muksa, either because it was animal feed, or because by putting the sheet on it, he indicated that he was going to use it for bedding before Shabbat, and that gives it a designation of not being muksa on Shabbat. First instance, in the Mishnah, is a case where he didn't make any of these premeditated decisions about the straw, and therefore, he has to deal with this straw, which is muksa on Shabbat. There is a Machlok at the Rishonim, which we discussed earlier in the Masechotah, about what really is allowed here in terms of Tiltul Minatzad. The Mishnah here only permits you laying on top of it and moving around. What about using your elbow? What about using any other Tiltul Minatza? Is that permissible over here? So the Rishonim disagree as to whether here you have to do a Bigufo. You have to be engaged in the activity, like laying down. And then through the laying down, you're allowed to move the straw. Or is it any that is permissible over here, as long as you don't engage directly with the straw? The... Okay layman's press, matirin you're allowed to open that up on Shabbat alo kovshim, but you can't close it on Shabbat, obviously you can't do the pressing on Shabbat, so closing it is not necessary or something that you're not permitted to do on Shabbat, but to release the press so that you can get the clothing inside, that is permissible on Shabbat, visho kofshim, the launderer's press the commercial press, loi you're not allowed to touch it, it's completely mukse. I would have thought it's mukse machmat chisron kis, Rashi on the other hand says, because it works so well, and when you close it, it tightens so tight, that when you open it up, it'd be stira it'd be like undoing bonan and stira by putting together undoing it, and that's the problem with getting involved with this commercial press if already it was partially released before Shabbat you can release the remainder of it, pull it out and take your begadim out the way their presses worked was there were two boards or two pieces of wood one of the pieces had pegs on it The other one had holes, which inserted into the pegs. And then you locked the upper board into the lower board by tightening, I don't know whether they had wing screws or some sort of peg that held the other one in place. So that's how they pressed the clothing, by putting it between the boards and locking it in place. So here, if you want to release it to get the clothes on Shabbat, again, if it's a layman's press, then that's not a problem, because it's not so significantly tightened. And therefore, the releasing of it is not called matir. That is not true by the commercial press. Obviously, to put clothing or to close it in it, is a sore no matter what, because there's no purpose for that on Shabbat. That's it, uvda d'chol, that's bone. everything that could go wrong in terms of placing the clothing in there. According to Rashi, there may not be binyan et stira believes that you can have binyan et when you're building a new kli, when you're starting afresh. Rashi generally doesn't think say so. says, en binyan b'kelim. That's generally what Rashi says everywhere else. Over here, you can see Rashi saying it's dom which means that he's clearly not saying that it is binyan or stira, but it just looks like vinyon and stira, and that's how Rashi gets around that problem. I'm a this is a statement we saw earlier in the Musahtan Kukhov Gimo from Nachman, which is Milamalo Lamato Shuri. You have this radish. After it was picked, you reinsert it into the ground in order to store it. If you store it right side up, that means with the leaves upward the wider end upward, the narrow side towards the bottom, then it's mutar to take it out on Shabbat. If you insert it into the ground upside down, that is the leaves down, the wider end towards the bottom, and the narrow end towards the top, then it's problematic. The difference being that there is dirt covering over the radish. If the radish is right side up, then the wider end of the radish is on top, and as you pull it out, you're not really moving, the dirt around it, because the wider end is already on the top, and as you pull the remainder of it out, it narrows, so it doesn't move the dirt that's above it. On the other hand, if it's upside down, if the wider end is at the bottom, and the narrower end at the top, as you pull out the narrow end, because it's widening as you pull it out, you're lifting dirt out of the ground as you do that. So that is why it's a sewer. The problem obviously being here that our Mishnah seems to indicate that tilto men is lo shmei tiltu. Then when you pick something up in an indirect manner, that's not called tilto. Yet over here, Rav Nachman's statement seems to indicate that tiltul minatzad ishme shmei And that's why he's not allowing you to take the radish out when it's upside down. Because you're going to move this dirt in a tilto minatzad. Amar of Adar bar Amre Tanina delok Rav Nachman. We have our Mishnah that's not like Rav Nachman. Our Mishnah being the Mishnah we just read, Akash. If kar Shma we conclude from our mishnah that tilto minatzad lo shmei tilto. That when you do indirect movement of an object, that's not called tilto. That's, that's not called the problem of moving books on Shabbat. Shma against this position of Rav Nachman. Marbek on Kufchav Gimel talks about the fact that Rav Nachman actually changed his position. And that we have a steer evil internally within Rav Nachman's position. I'm going to honey, Pilpule, these peppers. Peppers here are not like green pepper, red pepper. But pepper here like peppercorns. Medok, chada chada, bikata de sagina. You can crush one at a time with the handle of the knife. So if you do a bikata de sagina, it's Tarte, if you do two of them, then it's asir. Then it's problematic. Rav Amar, keven de mishani afilu tuvanami. Since you're doing it in an unusual manner, you can even do more than one. Because you're using the kata de Satina, using the handle of the knife, which is not the normal way to crush this item. You'd normally crush it in a mill or in a mortar. So the fact that you're doing it in this unusual manner is enough of a shinoi to say that you don't have to do it one at a time. You can even do it with multiple peppers at once. What this is referring to and how it connects to our Gemara, Tosafot here deals with, he quotes, first of all, from the Shilto to Revachai, that suggests that this statement is made regarding Yom Tov, and not a reference to Shabbat. He rejects that assumption, he says, because the default status of statements made in this Mesechtar are that they refer to Shabbat and not to Yom Tov. Unless it indicates otherwise, why would you assume something is speaking about Yom Tov? Then he has to answer the second question, is. What is it doing over here? So we just dealt with Tiltum in and all of a sudden you're moving over to crushing peppers in an unusual manner. So he says, So since we're dealing with tilto by the Shinoids here, It's going to bring a list of items that don't seem to belong necessarily, but they belong only because they're done. So it's an amalgamation, a gathering, of disparate halachot that have some connection, which is that they're all done derech shinoy. But you won't find any direct thematic connection between the halachot that are mentioned over here. He does say in the end that on Yom Tov, that it would be mutar then to do it, even in a regular manner. And then Tosefot spends a lot of time about when you can do it on Yom Tov in a regular manner, because we learned before that on Yom Tov, you can only do things that would otherwise not have been able to be done before Yom Tov. Here, the crushing of the spices, why can't you do it on Yom Tov? So he talks about two scenarios. One is that you don't know what dish you're going to make on Yom Tov. So therefore you didn't know what to prepare. So that's one scenario. Or the other possibility is that with certain spices, that the taste would be somehow impaired. By doing it a day before, rather than doing it on Yom Tov. But otherwise, he does allow it, and he mentions over here that you can do it in, he says, Evan, Kain, mortar. You can do it in our type of crushing instrument, like the mortar that we have. That's on Yom Tov. Again, on Shabbat, you have to do it, Derech Shinui. Here we have a machloket as to what is Derech Shinui, whether just doing it with the handle of the knife is sufficient, or you have to do it one at a time as well bathes in the water he should make sure to dry himself off before he gets out and then get out the problem is that we're afraid is that he's going to carry the water with him for a moat in the carmelite when he exits the water he's actually carrying the water on his body so we want him to dispense of the water on his body dry himself off before he walks so that he's not carrying it in a when he goes into the water, why don't we worry about it then also? He's pushing the water, he's moving the water when he enters it. Why don't we worry about the fact that he's pushing the water, in a Carmelite? When it comes to the we're not there inside of a Carmelite. Remember, a Carmelite is a Dindar It's a reshut derabanan. It would be, otherwise be not problematic on Shabbat to carry their meat de the there' their banan imposed in these areas that it's a Carmelite restricting you from carrying. And therefore, only when you are directly carrying are we going to worry about it inside of a Carmelite. Kochol, where it's a derivative of your action inside of a Carmelite, there we're not going to worry about it. So here, it's not you... That's moving the water. It's the impact from you entering the water that moves the water. So that's a derivative result of your entering the water. There, we don't worry about it inside of a Carmelite. Obviously, if it wasn't a Carmelite, we would worry about it if it was a reshut But here, we're simply dealing with a reshut derabanan. Shagav Raglo. He has cement, plaster, dirt that gets on his leg. Bikancho, B'karka v'ein B'kotel You can rub it off on the ground. But you should not rub it off on the wall. You have to scrape it off. It got stuck to you. You want to scrape it, so you need some friction. So you do it against the ground, that's permitted. You do it against the wall, that's impermissible. Amar my time of Bekota, though. Why wouldn't you do it against the wall? Because it looks like you're building. It looks like you're adding cement or plaster to the wall. So we don't want you to do that. That is a farmer's way of building. That's the agrarian way of building. Basically, that's a way that nobody would build. You don't build by wiping off cement on your foot. On the wall, that doesn't look like Mechzegbona. Elohomer Rova, Rova says just the opposite. You wipe it off on the wall, not on the ground. There's a bigger fear in the ground than we do on the wall. The wall, you rub it off, so some cement, something gets stuck to the wall, that's fine problem here is if you rub it off on the ground, you might come and smooth out the holes or the cracks in the ground, something that we know that the Gemara is worried about, where they had dirt floors in their houses, and the Gemara is very worried about this issue of Ashvuei Gumot, despite the fact that Ravva holds like Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Shimon who says, It's clear here that it's That you have no intention in being Ashvuei Gumot, you simply want to remove the dirt, cement, plaster from your foot, despite that fact, over here we're gazrinan, because as Tosavot says, asuk Ishkach Shabbat, gumot Because you're engaged in another activity, that involves force, friction, you're going to come to forget, that the fact that it is Shabbat, and then you'll end up be, Gumot. Even though technically it's Dover Sheinu Mitkavain, the problem is that you're gonna get so involved in this process because it takes effort, exertion, and because you come so involved, you forget entirely that it's Shabbat, and then you become engaged in a Shavuot Gemot, but there won't be Dover Sheinu Mitkavain, it'll end up being Mitkavein, because you've forgotten that it's Shabbat. Despite the fact that Robin and General Paskin's are gonna be Shimon, nevertheless he's Gozer in this case. Itmar Marbury Ravina, so we have another statement here. Before we had a machloket between Abaye or Rav and Rava as to whether it's the wall or the karka that's better to use. Here we have a statement from Mar Ravina that you can't use either. It's completely asur. Papa Amar, Mutar. says that both of them are mutar. according to Mar, Ravina, how can you then clean off your leg? How can you clean off your feet from this of this dirt? If he doesn't allow you to use the ground, he it doesn't allow you to use the wall, what can you use? It says you can use a piece of wood a beam that's out there and you can rub up against that and remove this from your leg now we have a different statement again person when they are sitting down should not sit down on the lechi this is going to come up much more in Ervin, it's just really a case for Erevin but if you have a mavoi in which you're allowed to carry because they made a shituf mivaot part of the requirements to have a mavoi be able to be used and to carry in it is that the exit from the Mavui has to have some sort of Siman on it. Whether it's a Lechi, which is a post, or a Korah, something across the top, that either it's Machloket and Erevin acts as a Mechitz on that side, or acts as a Siman or demarcation as to where the Mavui ends, to remind the person that they shouldn't go beyond this point into the rishuta rabim. So the problem is this person or this individual comes, the Lechi doesn't have to be so high, It'd be a post on the side of the wall. He decides to rest over there and sit on the lechi. They say, don't do this, because you've eliminated the reminder. By sitting on it, you're not going to have this signal not to do something, because, something will roll away from him, something will fall out of his hand, and then he'll carry it back in, because he's missing that demarcation or that reminder of the lechi, because he's sitting on the lechi, and therefore he'll reach out into the shutter beam to pull the item back without having this reminder of the Lehi. So don't sit on the siman because then it's no longer a siman. Vamarova. adeid inish kuba. Person should not bend over on its side a kuba cask. Dilma atelesh vuegumot. Because you might end up coming to beamesh vuegumot large barrel. You shouldn't roll it on its side or push it onto its side because you'll come to be a gumot. Smooth out the holes or the cracks in the ground. Fill the holes. The other possibility is that mitzadei doesn't mean to push onto its side but rather to stand up the barrel. And here you're trying to adjust the barrel so that it stands on a level basis. And by doing that you might come to mishave gumot deshisha. person shouldn't plug tightly a cloth on the mouth of a jug. Actually, over here says that the udra is a mukhin shesot bimba piyapach. It's the soft material, whether it's cotton or other soft material that you're using to plug the top of the jug. Dilma Because you might end up coming to be sochet, because it's on top there. If it gets wet or so, you might squeeze it out or... If you're plugging the top, and by using this as a plug, it plugs into the liquid, then it might cause skita, which we saw earlier in the Masechta back on Kufliyud Aleph, the problem of plugging the wine barrels on Shabbat, which were those plugs that they pushed into the holes in the barrels in order to stop up the wine from coming out, that we don't allow, because it's a Pasek that it could cause schrita. Over here, it doesn't seem to be there's a problem with Pasek just a Xero that you might come to doing shita. gana tit shagabe big do. you have this plaster cement that gets onto your clothing. Before we discussed it on the body, now we're discussing on the clothing. Mikas mi bifnim, ve mikas So we saw this kiso yesterday. That was with the linen baggage rubbing it together. There we asked whether that was to soften the baguette or to whiten it. Over here, the Yohar says that you can do it from internally. You can put your fingers inside the baguette, and then rub it from the inside and cause the cement to crumble or fall off. But you may not do it from the outside. And Rashi says when you do it from the inside it doesn't look like you're laundering it but when you do it on the outside it looks like you are laundering it you are cleaning it off now Rashi says it's not real laundering because there's no water involved then Malabain by definition requires water in order to be a problem of Milabain. without water there may be no Easter of Milabain. that's an interesting question back on Kuf Al from Midbet there's a toast Photo over there that discusses this issue about whether you have to have water or what type of Easter can you be involved with in terms of what exactly are the requirements of these if he got this cement, this plaster on his shoe now, what can he do? you're allowed to take it off or scrape it off with the back of the knife and here it's not clear, Gavsakin could be like we saw before, a cut the sakin it could be the handle of the knife or it could be the dull side of the knife, but whatever it is, it's not the normal way to scrape something off. You're not using the sharp edge of the knife in order to scrape it off. That which is on his bagot, you can scrape it off with your fingernail. What you can't do is rub it together the way that you would normally launder it. Sounds from here when you can't rub it means you can't rub it at all, which we are a problem for the statement that we just had before by Rav Kahano, who differentiated between rubbing from the inside and rubbing from the outside. It says, well, when it says, well, it means don't do it the normal way that they launder, which means from the outside. But if you did it internally in the, from the inside of the bag, that would be fine. Balazar, Ablo Yashan. You can scrape off from a new shoe, but you cannot scrape off from an older shoe. Rashi explains why. Not the older shoe. Problem with an older shoe is that it's already worn the leather. And when you scrape off the cement or the dirt on it, you're also going to smooth out the leather. You're going to scrape some of the leather off. Nabi machek because your activity or your action is going to affect the shoe as well. You're going to smooth it out or shape the shoe. So garuro, what can you use to scrape off? Says, I'm Gav Sakin, again with the back of the knife. Erase your statement. Eliminate your statement because of this. You're not allowed to scrape off. Not in a new shoe and not in an old shoe. That we do not differentiate between old and new shoes. We don't allow you to scrape it off because of the interaction with the shoe itself you're not allowed to put oil on your foot while your foot is inside of the shoe or inside of a sandal problem with that is that you are then going to get the oil on the shoe on the leather itself you're tanning the leather you're doing some sort of work with regards to the leather on the other hand what you can do is you can a you can put oil on your foot you can put the oil on your foot first and then insert the foot into the shoe or into the sandal. That's not a problem because you're not directly engaging the oil with the shoe. You're not actively doing it. You're doing it in an indirect manner. You put it on your foot, and now you insert your foot into the shoe. The fact that the oil now happens to get onto the shoe, that's not the normal way to do Ibud. That is not something that we're going to worry about. Same thing with your body. A You can put oil on your entire body. Umig agabe and then you can roll around on top of a throw. And this is a leather throw. And so now you're rolling around on this leather throw. You're getting oil on the throw, which is definitely beneficial for the leather. Oiling the leather, softening the leather. This is part of that tanning process. But because you're doing it not in a direct manner, where you be remabeid, because you do it in an indirect way, then it's permissible on Shabbat. Ve'nu You don't have to worry about any of these situations. That's only true if you just want to polish it. If you want to just get it to shine, but to tan it, to really work the leather, that is problematic. Mars says, first of all, of course, if your intent is to tan it and to work the leather, then certainly that is a sewer. Who's going to allow you to polish your shoes, smooth out and polish the shoes on Shabbat or on this leather on Shabbat? If you want the statement to read, this to read it, so this will incorporate your question, which is, The amount of oil that you engage with over here, should be sufficient oil that that would have polished, shined the leather. If you have so much oil, whether it's on your foot or on your body, that that would be sufficient oil to work it, to tan the leather, then it is a sewer. So there's the answer to the question. We don't want you engaging in a manner that even though you're doing it indirectly, would be similar to the We Don't let you use quantities that are similar to the melakha, whether it's the tzachtech or the abayt. So what we're doing is narrowing down the heter over here. We narrow it down that it can only be this much oil, so that it's clear that you're not being ma'abayt. And even if you're going to do it with the man of oil, the it's only in an indirect manner, so therefore we're avoiding this problem of you engaging in malacha on Shabbat. Turn a banana. Though so you'd say Katan bimn algado. Katan may not go out with a big shoe, but you'd say who he may go out with a large piece of clothing, oversized clothing. The katan over here is not an age qualification, it's simply a size qualification. That a person should not go out who has a smaller foot with a bigger shoe. He can't go out with an oversized shoe because what's going to end up happening is it's going to be slipping off his foot. And as it slips away, he's going to pick it up and carry it because he'll just go without the shoes. On the other hand, by the chaluk, we're not worried about that. If he has oversized clothing on, we're not worried about the fact that he's just going to pull the clothing off because he's not going to run around naked in the shuk. So we know that he's not going to pull the clothing out. So he's going to... it so that he can use it. Therefore, oversized clothing is permissible, oversized shoes are impermissible woman should not go out with a torn shoe, a worn shoe or torn shoe. You cannot use the shoe for chalitza. And if she does use it for chalitza, it's kshira to use. And she can't go out with mirufat. Problem being that, and you see here that it's a woman, because it's gnai hula. It's something that is beneath her dignity. Something that people might make fun of her or laugh at her. And once they do that, what is she going to do? She's going to pull it off and carry it. One may not wear a new shoe on Shabbat. Which, we're talking about that you can't do this. This is a woman's shoe. woman may not go out with a new shoe on Shabbat. That's only if she hasn't tested it out, tried it out before Shabbat. As long as she's worn it before Shabbat, right, it's not new, but it's also, we know that she's tested it out and it works and it fits her. She's already used it or utilized it a little bit before Shabbat. That is enough. The difference being, Rashi says here, that we're specifically talking about women because The woman is very makpid about it fitting her foot properly and to the exact size. So if the shoe doesn't fit perfectly, the woman's going to be upset about it. She might take it off. She might be embarrassed about it. And therefore, all we want to know is that she tried it a little bit before Shabbat, so we know that she knows she's comfortable with the shoe, and that she'll continue to wear it on Shabbat and not take it off. On the other hand, the implications from this are that a man is less makpid on these issues, it's a little bit too big, a little bit too small, he'll just deal with it and he'll go out with it. For the woman, it was a much more of a significant issue, therefore, you need to break in the shoes before Shabbat, and not go out with new shoes on Shabbat. Tani chada, mi'al gabe imus. We have in our gemara, the Yirish is probably likely imum. We have two brightot. One breitot that says you're allowed to take the shoe off of its form. Whereas the other one says you cannot take a shoe off of its form. So look, hasho, that's not a problem. Ha-rebeliezer, ha rabbonon The authors of these two breitot are different tanaim who have different opinions. The Tanan. We have a Mishnah like we've done in many other places. Kalim, we go to find out what is the designation of certain items. So in Kalim it says Menal Gebe Imum. You have a shoe that is on its form. Rabbi Eliezer well, mitaher v'chamim mitamim. Eliezer says that is tahor, whereas the chamim say it's Tame. So now you have here a shoe that is sitting on the form. What is the status of the shoe? Is the shoe classified as a shoe, a kalim? If it's already it classified as a kalim or a shoe, then you've had gemar malacha. And once you've hit Gemar melacha, now it can be Mikabel Tumah. And that is the position of the Chachamim. But Belezer's position is, as long as it's still on the form, then it doesn't get granted the designation as a Shu or Gemar melacha. If it's not granted that designation, then it will not be Mikabel Tumah. Then, we want to know about Shabbat. On Shabbat, if something is classified as a Glee, then it's not mukse. If something is not classified as a Glee, then it is mukse. So the same Machloket that has impact in terms of tuma will also have impact in terms of mukse. And therefore, that's what the Gemara says here. Rabbi Lezer, who believes it's not a klee to be tumah, will also say you can't take it off the form on Shabbat because you're picking up something that's not a klee. So you can't take it off, it's muksa. And then the Chachamim will believe it is tumah because it already has the shame klee. They believe you can take it off the imum because the removal of the shoe is taking a klee. And that's not a problem. Hanichu the Ravah. This works well to the Ravah. The this whole thing makes sense according to Rava, who says that when you have a please shemalach toli isur, that whether it's tzoruch kufo, whether it's tzoruch you're allowed to move it out. Now, what the Gemara here is discussing is the issue of the form that is sitting inside the shoe. In order to release the shoe, it seems like that you didn't just take the shoe off the form; you pulled the form out of the shoe. You had to engage with the form itself. <laughs> So now, what's the status of this form? It's a kli, shemlach t'odi, yisur. The form is definitely something that you'd only engage in to do things that are otherwise a surah on Shabbat. So that's the way it classifies a kli, shemlach t'odi, So what is the dispensation to engage with such a kli? One is a tzorach kufo, which certainly is not the issue here. You're not utilizing it for anything. The other would be for tzorach mikomo. You need the place. So in this case, you need the place where the form is sitting. You want to put your foot in the shoe. Instead, the form is sitting inside the shoe. So it's in the place that you want. So therefore you can pull it out because it's Tzarek Mikomo. So according to Ravah that you have this dispensation for Tzarek Mikomo by Klisha Malach I can understand this whole scenario here. I pull the form out because I have a Klisha Malach that I have Tzarek Mikomo. Elavah Abaye, Damar the Tzarek Kufo, Mutar the Tzarek Mikomo Asur when it comes to a Malach Todi We only permit Tzarek Kufo No, Tzarch Mikamo, my Ikalam What are you gonna do over here? Why are you allowed to pull the form out of the shoe? Because the only dispensation would be for Tzarch Mikamo, and that doesn't exist over here. Because, by says, Tzarch Mikamo is not a good enough reason to engage with the Kalishimach Tel Desur. It says, Achamai Skinaan Birafui. Talking about that the shoe is loosely situated around the form. Therefore, you don't have to engage the form to get the shoe on. You can just pull the shoe off the form without touching the form. If it's tightly, then you'd have to pull on both of them to get it out, and then you'd have to engage with the... If the shoe is loose on the form, then you can take it off. That's only because it's loose. Ha If it was not loose, then you would not be able to take it off. So then, the man says, Hanichallah, Bahi, for Yudh's opinion, it works well according to Bahi, Damar, Darvar, Shemlach, Tolisur, the Tokhuvo, Mutar, the Tokhu Mikomo, Asur. So Shapir, that makes sense. Because you would not be allowed to engage in this Glishimlach, Tolisur, because the only header here is Tsarach, Mikomo. That doesn't exist over here. So the only way you get the form out of the shoe is if the shoe's loose, and you can just pull the shoe off without touching the Glishimlach, Tolisur. Elo, the Ravo, Damar, Ben, the Tokhuvo, Ben, the Tokhuvo, Mutar, Ya Rafoy Why does it have to be loose? Even if it's not loose, you can just pull on the form and the shoe at the same time. You can pick up both of them because it's mitzorech mekomo. Ha'y Rabbi That's Rabbi Yehuda in the name of Rabbi Eliezer. The Tanya, mutar. That's dealing with Rabbi Yehuda in the name of Rabbi Eliezer that says if it's rafui, then it's mutar. So this qualification, this differentiation that Rabbi Huda says, the Mafli ben rafui, the Shena rafui was in the name of Rabbi Eliezer, who says that, So then we're going back to the original Machoke, between Rabbi Eliezer and the Chachamim. Rabbi Eliezer says, a shoe on the form is not a Kli, whereas the Chachamim say it is a Kli. We were discussing, and Rav's question only arises according to the Chachamim, who say you could take the shoe off on Shabbat, because it's a Kli. So they were discussing it within the Rabbanon. What Rav suggests over here, is that Rabbi Yehuda's statement that it's loose, has nothing to do with what we were discussing just now, because by the Chachamim it's a Kli, and you can take it off. So we were discussing the Imum, the form, and taking the form out, and that's a Kli Shemlach to the Along comes Rabbi Yudah and says it's loose. We thought that when he says, or qualifies and says it's loose, it's because of the form being Muxa. The answer is no. Rabbi Huda has nothing to do with the Chachamim. Rabbi Huda is on Rabbi Eliezer's opinion. Rabbi Eliezer says you're not allowed to take the shoe off the form at all, because it's not a Kli. So it's Muxa. Along comes Rabbi Yehudah, and says, if it's loose, then it does get a shame kli. Rabbi Yehudah only says it's not a kli when it's still tight on the form. If you loosen it on the form, even Rabbi Yehudah agrees that then it is a kli. And if that's the case, you could take the shoe off the form on Shabbat. Nothing to do with kli shum yisur, not kli shum it's simply that now it is a kli, and it's not muqseh. Rabbi Huda is qualifying Rabbi Yehudah, and for Rava that's not an issue at all, because Rava's statement is made inside of the rabbonah. And Rebuh statements made inside of Rabbi Eliezer. With that we end Perkhatulin, and we begin the next Perak of Notel. Notella damit binau. Bi Biado. First can pick up his child, even though the child has a stone in his hand. Vikalkalah, and he can pick up a basket, Vavin Bitoka, and there's a stone inside. Obviously the stone being muksa. And here you're engaging with the muksa through carrying something else. So either you're carrying the child and the child has the muksa in their hand. Or you are carrying the basket and the muksa is inside. Now obviously the problem here is not a problem of Mavir Dawramot, as we well actually point out, you're a no Khatzer. We're not dealing with the issue of carrying, we're dealing with the issue of Muksa, and that's the only issue here. Um im tehora. You're allowed to carry Chmatmeya, which is worthless on Shabbat. The only thing you can do with Chuma Tmeya is burn it. And that you obviously cannot do on Shabbat. So it would be otherwise a on Shabbat. But since you have Tehorah along with it, then you can carry it. Vima Khulin, or if you have chulin there, because you have something that's mutar, that allows you to carry that which is a sword. Rabbi Yehuda mer Af makes a statement, so we'll get to it later in the Gemara, an issue of is a situation in which chuma and Chulim become mixed. If you have Truman and Chulim, they become mixed, then it forms something called midduma, which is a mixture. It really means a mixture. Something that now presents a problem because if you're a non kohen you cannot eat the mixture because there's Chuma inside of it. Mido-Raita, Minatora, it's Batel-Berov. As long as there's a Rov of Chulin, the Chuma does not exist. The Chachamim imposed on Chuma a stricter guideline that Chuma is not Batel except for a hundred to one or a hundred and one to one. That is the requirement of a wudagabe Chuma. So over here we're talking about a situation in which there is rov chulin, there's more chulin than shuma, but it doesn't reach the threshold of the chachamim of being 100 to 1 or 101 to 1. In that situation, the chachamim say that you take out the amount of shumah that's in there and you give it to the kohen. You take out a representative amount of shumah from the mixture, and then you give that to the kohen. So what Rabbi Yehuda says is, af You can take out that piece that the chachamim require you to take out, you're allowed to take it out on Shabbat, even though in general, you're not allowed to take off Chumah and Masroth on Shabbat, because that is a problem of mitakein, eh? Over here, it's only like a quasi mitakein because technically, it really is Mutar the Gamre, the Chulin exceeds the chuma, This is only a khumra de Rabbanan, that we say that you have to take off this extra piece. So it's only a Chumrah de Rabbanan. When you take it out, it's not really like mitakein. Amar Ovo, Otsi If you take out a live child, a live baby, V'kis taloi b'tzavaro, and he has a sack, a bag, a wallet hanging around his neck. Chayav mishum kis. It's a problem for carrying the kis. Tinok mate, if he's carrying out a dead baby. The Bikis toloi lo bitsavaro. And he has this wrapped around his neck. Patur. Patur of But there's no problem of a chayav a chattat. Tinok bikis toloy lo bitsavaro. Chayav mishum kis. He's chayav because of the wallet. Why is he only problematic in carrying the wallet or the bag or the sack that's around his neck, what about the baby itself? We're obviously not talking about mukhs over here, we're talking about carrying daladamot, and we're saying now that the problem is carrying the item that's attached to the baby, not the baby itself. What about the baby? Why isn't that a problem? So obviously, this goes back to what we saw earlier in the Masech, the Rovah Rav he holds like Rabbi Notan, who says, Damar no any live being carries itself. Carries itself doesn't literally mean it carries itself, but it helps to move its weight, or helps to adjust its weight, and by doing so, it's really like shnaim shasu, you're not really carrying the person, you are simply aiding that person, and they're aiding you, and therefore you have two people engaging in Amalakha. so that's not Khayab mi de If that's the case, that the baby's okay, why don't we say that the kiss is insignificant with regards to the baby, and therefore you're really just carrying the baby. Along with it comes this kiss, and therefore it should not be considered carrying. Then we see already earlier in the Mesechta, et if you carry out a live person on a bed, patur af alamita. you're not culpable for carrying the bed, because the only reason you're carrying the bed is so that you can carry the person on top of it. So the bed becomes batel to the person that you're carrying on top. You're really trying to carry the individual, the bed is just the means by which you carry the person. Sh'amita, t'sfilolo, the mission there says, because the bed is subordinate to the individual. So that's what it says, mita legabi chai mevatlilei. A bed, with regards to a live person, is subordinate. Kis, tinok, When it comes to whatever this kis is, I'm not sure what's inside of it, but whatever it is, it's so important that the person is not mevatulet, the tinok. It's not necessarily more, but he would not subordinate it to the tinok. It has at least equal weighting in your eyes. Therefore, it's not subordinate to the tinok. I would have maybe stated it even more so, is that the bed is the means by which you carry the individual. The kiss here has nothing to do with carrying the child. It just has to be on top of the child, and therefore it should be problematic. Tinuk mate, if you have a dead baby, and he has this sack or wallet around his neck, then he is patur. The chayev mishum tinuk. What about the baby? What about carrying the baby itself? Now over here, you do not have the dispensation of Rabinata and the Chaynoset that's small because the baby is not alive. Why is not there an issue with carrying the baby? Any malachah that's in Trichal is patur. We had this earlier in the Masechtah with regards to a mate. If you take a mate out of the house, according to Rabbi Shimon, that's a malachos shein de gufa, because the reason for carrying on Shabbat, or the reason that carrying was done in the mishkan, was to take item from point A to point B. It's because you wanted an item in point B, therefore you carry it from point A to point B. Over here, that's not true. By a mate, you don't want the mate in the other location. You want it out of this location. You want to remove it from point A, not necessarily get it to point B. So that's why it's a Molocha She'en Tzricha gufa The same must be true here. When you taking out the mate, the assumption being that you're not carrying the baby to a destination, you're simply removing the baby from the current location, and that's a Molocha She'en Tzricha the gufa Now what about the wallet itself? Why over here by the Tzinnok mate is the wallet not a problem? Just before we said that the wallet is not Patel, the Gabi Tinok, all of sudden the Tinok is mate, and the wallet is Patel. So Rashi gives one reason, it was a toy of some sort that he played with, because of the bitterness, the, of the, loot, the mourning that this parent has over the child, the that moment it doesn't have any significance to him so because of the situation the kiss loses its significance and then becomes subordinate to the child because the parent's focus is solely on the child and on the mourning for the child and therefore the kiss becomes irrelevant when the child's alive then the kiss is significant because again then there's engagement both with the child and the toy that the child has so Sophot gives another alternative which is both what Rashi says, Inamni, he says that it's also a in Gufa. Once again, if you're carrying the toy for the baby, then it's a and gufa. If the baby is already dead and the toy or the kisses around the neck, then it's a malacha shen suichal gufa. You don't need the keys anymore to go with the baby because the baby is no longer alive. And therefore maybe it's also a malacha shen suichal gufa. It's not. So obviously we have to now speak about our Mishnah because here we just spoke about a child that is carrying something is problematic. Our Mishnah says carrying a child and a stone in the hand is not problematic. It's not. What are you going to do with that? So, our Mishnah is talking about, we have to qualify the case in our Mishnah, that why is it not problematic? We see from the statement of Rava that when you carry something out, and the other individual, or the other person is carrying something with them, it's as if you're carrying directly that item. So over here, we have the Kis on the child, when you carry the child, it's as if you're carrying the keys and it's problematic on Shabbat. Then in our Mishnah, it says, if you carry the child, and the child carries a stone, that it's not as if you're carrying the stone, because we don't have a problem of you carrying muxa. Why is that? So we have a qualification here with the Beit Rabbi that our case in the Mishnah is a unique case, where it's a Gaguin, alaviv. The child is sick for his parents. He wants his father, and he needs something to pacify him, he needs something to stop him from having this feeling. So the stone was the way to pacify the child, and therefore now the stone is acting not just simply as muksa, not simply as something that the child is carrying, but it's actually preventing the child from becoming sick. So now if you look at Rashi, Rashi the Bottom Rashi on the um tilto shalobi sakana. So here we're talking about tilto, not direct carrying a muksa, indirect carrying of muksah. And the chakamim were not mamid Ibrahim in the case of sakana. but We're not talking about a life and death situation here. If the child doesn't have the stone, he's not going to pass away. That's not the issue at hand. But ella sakana tcholi. We're talking about simply becoming ill or falling ill. So this is what we call or otherwise known on Shabbat, which is Khola Shainpo Sakanah. Someone who becomes sick but has no sakanah. So over here we see by Holi Shainpo Sakanah, the Chachamim wave their Gzairot or Takanot, but makum that it's Kalahayad, in a case where it's only a muksa. So Toswit points out, again, Toswit makes this point, but I mentioned now as well, which is that there's going to be a difference between direct engagement Muksa and indirect engagement Muksa. This head there only applies to indirect engagement Muksa. We're not going to allow you to directly engage with Muksa, even with a holy Shein sakana. Here it's because it's indirect that we allow you to do this. So now, my area, Evan, if that's the case, if we're dealing with sakana already, we're dealing with holy bo sakana, why are you talking about a stone? Why use the example of a stone, which is something that's useless on Shabbat? Why don't we talk about something that's real muksa on Shabbat? Shabbat, like money. If the child's carrying a coin that's doing this pacification, why don't we just say that's the case? Alama, Amar Ravot, but didn't Ravot say, Loshanuela Evan? Alva Dinar Asur. Rav already qualified the mission and said that the mission is only true by a stone, not true by a coin. So if the whole situation here is dealing with a holy, holy Shainbosakana, why should we differentiate between a coin and a stone? They're both muqseh, it's not a direct tilto. They both should be mutar in this case. Where it says there's a difference. Even inaflala lo ateavule atuye. A stone, if it falls, the father is unlikely to go then and pick up the stone. That is, child law says the pacifier. You can replace the stone, you can find something else, you'll be fine. Dinar inaflala lo if the coin falls out of the child's hand, there is no likelihood the father will pick up the coin, he's not going to leave the coin there, it's something of value. So if it's something of value, we don't want the child holding something of value, because then the father will engage with the item, when it falls out of the hand of the child. On the other hand, if it's something that is not of value, and can be replaced easily, then we don't worry about it. We have a brighter that supports Rova's understanding. tefo. person who takes out his clothing folded up, in, on his shoulder. And he's carrying his shoes and his rings in his hand. In that case, that's called carrying. You're carrying the items. It's a problem on Shabbat. But if you wear them normally, you're wearing your clothing, you're wearing your shoes, you have your rings on your finger, then it's patur. Then it's not a problem. Now, amutsi adam. Person who carries another individual v'kelav alav Visandalabra patur. If he carries this under individual and he's wearing all of his clothing and his rings and so on and so forth, then your patur again for the individual because it's chayno sit that's mo, and for the clothing because the clothing's all batel to the individual because they're part of his normal wear, so that's not called carrying. That's right, patur right. because that's chayno set small. It's only a hetter midoraita midorabbanan. We still say it's So what they want to infer from this brayta is the brayta notes three cases, and the gemara is inferring in the fourth case, which is the brayta notes the first case, which is you have an individual himself who either wears his clothing or carries his clothing. When he carries his clothing, it's problematic. When he wears it, it's patur, but here probably means mutar. And then you have a second case in the b'righta, which is you're carrying another individual. The only case that the bright they dress is when you're carrying another individual wearing their clothing. In that case you would be patur. What happens if you're carrying another individual who's carrying his clothing? The Gemara infers that fourth case would be chayav. What does that show you? That shows you like what Ravah just said. That Ravah said to us that when you carry someone else or something else and they're engaged with the muksa, it's as if you're directly carrying the muksa. And that's what you would infer from this Braitha. If you were carrying someone who was carrying clothing, it's as if you were carrying the clothing directly. It's as if you were doing it and doing the carrying directly and directly engaging with the clothing. Exactly what Rava just said. And that was the first statement we had in the Gemara today, which is Rava says that if you take out the tinok with the keys, it's as if you're directly carrying the keys. So this Braitha supports that understanding of Rava. How we do with our Mishnah is to reinterpret or qualify the Mishnah and say that Mishnah is an unusual case. Where it involves holy shame bo sakana, and therefore there's a dispensation to allow the child to carry the stone to pacify himself, even though normally that would not be allowed because it would be as if you were carrying the muksa directly. Okay, we'll stop over here.